Let's open our Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. One of the things that I have pointed out uh, on this journey through Philippians that we've been taking is that there's almost nothing that Paul has to say to this church that is a critical word of anything that's going on. And this today, I wouldn't say, was a critical word either, although in these verses, Paul is pointing out an issue in the Philippian church that he's aware of. And it would seem that he's aware of it from personal experience because he addresses a couple of people by name and he makes reference to the fact that they were people who worked in the gospel with him. So there's a, there's, a, there's a personal connection here, as well as the, the familiar connection between Paul and the church that, that, that we're aware of. And as I went through chapter 4 during the week, especially the, latest, the later part of the week, trying to put things all together, I, 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 you know me, when I go through a passage of Scripture... And then when I stand up and present it to you, what I'm really trying to do is present as clearly as I can simply what it says on the page in the context that it's presented. I like to say, I like to emphasize what's being said and why it's being said and apply it to the same things that it's being applied to by the person that writes it. Now, what becomes became a little challenging for me in Philippians chapter 4 was that you could certainly read verses 2 and 3 and just stop. See, see, wants me to just stop after verses 2 and 3, right? Too many verses, Pastor Lou. But, but then when you read what comes after chapter 3, or verse 3, it certainly reads when you get to verse 4 like that verse could start its own thought. But as I considered it, it seemed to me that what was being said in verse 4 and verse 5, and even into verse 6 and possibly verse 7, all have a relationship to the issue that he's dealing with in verses 2 and 3. If none of that meant too much to you, don't worry. Let's pray now and as I read it and explain it. Trust me, it will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, it is a great truth that we have a great spiritual unity with you, that by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel of Christ, Lord, we can gladly, humbly affirm that we belong to you and you belong to us. No small thing, no small thing that a sinner 
can lay claim to being yours and, and you being ours, a holy and righteous God. But we know that's the, the greatness of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, so much for your grace and your love for us. And Lord, now as we read this letter and we read about this issue that had arisen in the church at Philippi, we pray that we would understand it in relationship to ourselves and, uh, and, and, and maybe have some things that all of us can look at in our own lives, certainly in the life of our church, that we could apply ourselves to so we can be fully fruitful in whatever it is that you call us to do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 4 and verse 2 starts like this. I implore Euodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let me just read verses 6 and 7 as well. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then verse 8 starts with the word finally, which would either make it the final thing on the list of things that he was saying there in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, or it might just be the initiation of his push to the overall end of his letter. I'll let you know what I think about that next week, or possibly the week after that. But um, for now, we come to this, and in verse 2, he says, notice that he uses the word implore in front of the name of each of these people. It's clear that there is some disagreement, there is some, maybe a quarrel, there's some lack of meeting of the minds, that's for sure, of these two women. And we know they're women. I'm not a Greek scholar, but others who are, say that they're female names, but even if you didn't know that, he calls them women in verse 3. So uh, we have two women in the church. One is named Euodia. The other is named Sintichi. I'm probably pronouncing both of them wrong. I confess I've never known a Euodia or a Sintichi in my life. These are the only ones I'm aware of, so forgive me for that. But uh, he says, I implore, which means I plead with. I implore, I, I, I really, really want you to listen to this. I implore, it's not quite beg, but it's close. I implore, Euodia, and I implore, Sintichi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, as you read through the rest of the passage, and this is why I think the verses that follow this are directly connected to it, I think what you see is a revelation of three or possibly four things that are threatened 
when there are people, significant, meaningful people in a body of believers who are not of the same mind. Because the first thing that he says, and we'll break it down, we'll just give you the brief little outline of it now, but we'll break it down more as we go through it. He says, I implore you, Odea, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Stop there. So he's right away, he's right away reminding them of the fact that they were fellow workers in the gospel. And when there were people who were not people in the church, who were not of the same mind, one of the things that needed to be reminded to them was, what are we here for? We're here for the work of the gospel. We are co-laborers in the gospel. May I suggest to you that I don't think that it's a very bold assertion on my part at all to say that probably in every church in history, in every ministry in history, including now, there have always been people within a church that have disagreements about various things. One of the most striking things about this passage of Scripture, if you notice, is that what the thing is that causes Euodia and Syntyche to not be of the same mind is not stated. You notice that? It doesn't say they disagree about doctrine. They might have. It doesn't say that they disagree about their approach to a particular ministry task. That might have been it. It doesn't say that they just, as people, didn't see eye to eye. There was just something personal about them where this was just not someone that they uh, ordinarily might want to be around. That would be a big problem, right? But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they're both type A personalities, both very driven and both have their way of doing things. And whenever the other got in the way of the other, there was conflict. It doesn't say that. Any one of those things or any of many, many, many other things may have been the issue. But the issue is not stated. And because the issue is not stated, as an expositor of Scripture trying to get what God's message for me is out of this, is this. I don't care what divides you. We are in this together as fellow laborers for the gospel. Now listen, I will say this to you as well. And this I say from my 17 years experience as a pastor and my, and my three years of experience as a missionary before that and my 30 plus years as a Christian where I have in my life as a Christian, I have never in my life been a person who has been able to just sit like on the sideline. I have always been a church goer. I have always been a church participant. I have always, always, always been part actively participating in everything that uh, was uh, connected to whatever church I was part of. Whenever there is this kind of drama, Whenever there is this kind of either rising up or persisting, nagging discord, the first thing that goes, listen, brothers and sisters, the first thing that goes, listen carefully to this, 
is exactly what Satan wants to go. And that is that we are here to preach the gospel. Where there is drama among women in this case, or among men, or among children, or among anyone in the church, the first thing that gets forgotten is why we exist. And so Paul comes and says, I need you to be of the same mind without even saying what made them of a different mind. And that whole issue of being of the same mind as we went over with some ardor last week was what? Something that was threaded through the entire epistle. I mean, when he speaks of same mind, really, you go back to chapter 2 and you see what he's talking about when he says he's talking about the same mind. In verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was that mindset? What was that attitude? Christ was God. And yet he humbled himself and took on the appearance of man. Listen, if Christ, who is God, can for 33 years... Listen, we go through something for five minutes and we start to complain. We have a conflict for an hour and we're ready to go to war. We have a conflict that lingers for weeks or months and we have all sorts of things in our lives starting to unravel. Jesus Jesus as God, the Word which was God and, and, and was with God. Jesus became a man for 33 years. For 33 years, a perfect, holy God had to walk among us. If Christ had in himself the mindset of humility, the mindset of humility, certainly we should as well. Then you get to what he's saying to Euodia and Sintichi. And he says, I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I don't think that it's random studying Paul's letters for so, so many years now, I find almost nothing that Paul writes to be random. Everything seems to be purposeful. When Paul writes his letters, you see, therefore, 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 a lot. The beginning of chapter 4, the first one, the therefore. Because he's always building, 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 building when he writes. That's Paul's distinct style of writing that God used. And so when Paul says here, be of the same mind, I think it's a very safe conclusion to make that the problem, whether they disagreed about the the fill-in-the-blank ministry, or they just didn't get along with each other for some reason, or maybe they both had a weakness where they both were a little diatrophian. Do you know what I mean by that? They were looking for the preeminence a little bit. Maybe they both struggled with that a little bit. Whatever the case was, what they both needed, because I said, I implore you and I implore you. Use the word implore among both of them. And said, you need to be of the same mind in the Lord. Which means what he was talking about earlier in the letter. They needed to look at Christ. As we all do. As we all do. They needed to look at Christ and see that Christ humbled himself and became one of us for 33 years for the purpose of fulfilling the will of the Father's love for us in dying for us to redeem us. 
So I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when we are not humble, brothers and sisters, when we get our eyes off of Christ, one of the first things to go is that distinct quality of Christ, His humility. When we get our eyes off of Christ, listen, when your eyes are on Christ, you are consumed with the pattern that He is for your life. And when your eyes are on Christ, the power of God is at work conforming you into the image of Christ. But when we get our eyes off of Christ, then the Christ-likeness that it is impossible to have without keeping our eyes on Him starts to fade and starts to go. And when the Christ-likeness is replaced by a sense of superiority over others, I'm thinking of possible things that could be going on here. A my way or the highway attitude. A constant putting down or undermining of other people. A spirit of gossip and dissension. Whatever was taking these two women apart. When we get our eyes off of Christ, the humility goes. And when the humility goes, and we're not being formed in His image as we should, the first thing that happens is we forget why we're here. See? And that makes perfect, just logical sense in a natural thought progression. We know as Christians that we're called to share the gospel with every creature. We know as Christians in our church that our church is supposed to be about standing for the gospel and preaching Christ to the world and inviting people to faith in Christ that they might have salvation. Soon as we get our eyes off of Christ and onto our own interests, hello, early in the letter it says, let you not look out for your own interests, but those of others, right? As soon as we get our eyes off of Christ, we get our eyes onto ourselves, and then our lives become about ourselves and not about the gospel. And we are called to be fellow workers and co-laborers in the gospel. And so, and, and Euodia and Sintichi are not people who just showed up at church every now and then and sat in a pew. Euodia and Sintichi were people who, according to Paul's own testimony here, had previously labored in the gospel with him. These are, these are gospel warriors, right? These are people who got it. These are people, these are two women who were like, Whatever, then the Lord is using us to preach the gospel to other people. Right? These, these women are like uh, the, the, the four daughters of Philip, the evangelist, who shared the word. These women are like Phoebe, who's mentioned at, in uh, Romans chapter 15. These women are like Priscilla, who I know the, the ladies heard about at Karen's shower yesterday, Aquila's wife. These, these ladies are like that. These are gospel warriors. And yet, there was something about them that was causing them to be divided. And it did not matter what it was. Who cares what it is? What you need to be is of one mind in the Lord. Listen, it is possible. If you, if you went through this congregation, and one of the things I love about our congregation, I've always loved about our congregation over the years, is that the way that we, the way that we hold up and stick with preaching verse by verse through the Bible has made people who want to be here, people who are Bible people, right? And so 
as you look around the room, we're maybe at different levels of learning, different levels of maturity, maybe at a different place spiritually as far as like how much we know, how much we trust, how much we have questions about, whatever the case may be. But it's a room full of Bible people. And I like that. That's a wonderful thing. And yet, if you went person by person through the room, you would find a differing opinion here or there about a thing. Right? Also, if you went through the congregation, you might find a different value that is placed on the importance of a particular activity. Either an activity that the church undertakes together, or maybe an activity that uh, people undertake in their own lives. There might be differences of opinion about those things. Like I said, even a point of doctrine, right? You know, within, within our own congregation, there might be people who have maybe a slightly different view concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There might be people who have a slightly different view uh, concerning election versus the will of man and, and the, the, the place in soteriology that has in, in people getting saved, right? Listen. And those are things that should be worked out with humility and properly. But listen to me. Euodia and Syntyche are called, told they need to be of the same mind in the Lord. Because the first thing to go, when you have this kind of drama, where people get their eyes off Christ, and they get their eyes on, we need to do this like this, or we're doing this, this that person doesn't want to do it like this, this person, they don't want to, they don't want to, I don't want to do, they don't want to do that, they, I want it like this, I want to that, that, and you get on all of that, the first thing that is forgotten is why we're here. We are here to preach Christ to the lost. And as soon as we get our eyes off of that, the only one who applauds is Satan and those who are on his side. I don't know what other way to say it. When we keep our eyes on the Lord, we will be of one mind. When we have, when we have the mind and the attitude of humility that Christ had, when each one of us has an individual has that attitude of Christ. Look, all of creation is sinful, but I'm going to become one of them because I'm going to fulfill my Father's will to redeem them. When we have that humble servant attitude of Christ that puts the interests of others ahead of ourselves, when each one of us does that, we are 100% guaranteed to be of the same mind. There is no other same mind to be of. There is the mind of Christ. There is the mindset of Christ. There is the attitude of Christ. And then there is the mindset that is not of Christ. There is the attitude that is not of Christ. This or that. And Euodia and Sintichi had a problem. Don't know what it was. Don't care what it was. They needed to be of the same mind because look what it says. It goes on to say in the middle of verse 3 that these women labored with me in the gospel. And that's what we need to keep in view. I told you in the beginning of this, there were three things that get cut into. When there is this kind of drama in church where people get their eyes off of Christ, humility runs out the door, the first thing that goes is remembering that we're here for the cause of the gospel. The second thing that goes 
is in, not necessarily in order. They all go at the same time. Is joy, which is why in verse 4 we're reminded of something that we had already been told earlier in the letter, which is to rejoice in the Lord. And the third thing that goes, ready? Ready? Is something called our testimony. Our testimony. Do you know what I mean by our testimony? Sometimes I think I even need to explain that term because I came up at a time in the Lord where I was constantly told that your testimony is important. Testimony is a word that has a couple different meanings, so maybe that's why people don't get it. But when, when back in the day, when Christians talked about their testimony, what they meant was the way that they conducted themselves, the way that they lived, the way that they spoke in sight of the lost world. And I want to say to you that it is a recurring theme, not just in Paul's writings, but others. It is a recurring theme in the instructional epistles of the New Testament that your testimony to those who are lost is important. That's why that song that Angie and uh, 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 Amy put together was so important. We're called to give our lives, you know, go preach to a, a world where wrong seems right, you know, and, and all, these, all these wonderful lines. People need the Lord, but they, they need to see it in how we live as we preach the truth of the gospel to them. And that's what he says in the third part of this. Those are the three, listen, when you have Euodia and Syntyche and it just goes on and on and on, unchecked and undealt with, people forget about the gospel. People have their joy robbed from them and we lose our testimony. True, you think? I implore you, Odia, and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind of the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion. Paul brings in someone called true companion. And I love this. I, I grew up reading the King James Bible. And one of my all-time favorite old King James words is here. And I believe the New International Version kept it. But uh, the word is yoke fellow. Does anyone have a King James Version? It says, right? What's that? You know that word, right? Yes, this is a true yoke fellow. John MacArthur, in his the notes in his study Bible and many other commentators, make the point that it's presented as a proper name. And here goes another name that I'm not going to pronounce right, but Zizagos, right? I don't know who Zizagos, if Zizagos is actually supposed to be a person, but if Zizagos was a person, he was probably a good friend with Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus and Zizagos and Euodia and Syntyche, you know, I'm pretty good with, you know, John and Tony and Steve and works for us, right? So in any case, these were wonderful people, but even if their names are a little hard to understand. But anyway, most modern English translations of the Bible don't render it as a proper name. They render it as it is in the New King James Version, true companion. And uh, that picks up the meaning. Yoke fellow. The word fellow, you recognize from fellowship. It means to share. Yoke. Everyone understands yoke from the verse, two verses in the Bible where Jesus, one, says, 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find rest for yourselves. And the Apostle Paul says not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The idea of a yoke, you know this story, was I have to tell it, though, because whenever a preacher comes across the word yoke, it's like one of the preacher rules. You have to explain what yoke means every time, even if everybody already knows. So you have to listen. So a yoke is like a farming implement where two animals are yoked together so they can pull a plow. Got it? You know that. And if they're not equally yoked, then the plow goes haywire and you destroy your field or you destroy the yoke, right? That's why you have to be equally yoked to one another. That's why it's so wonderful that Jesus says, yoke yourself to me because my burden is easy my, and my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Find rest. So the yoke fellow, right? We're talking about, if it's a proper name, you're talking about a person who shared the burden. Now, here's what I think. Because this is written, and I, I, I agree with the translators of the Bible who don't translate this as a proper name, but rather translate it, even if it's presented in the original languages as a proper name, I think he's using the name to describe the same people to whom the letter is addressed. He's not just talking about Sysagos, he's talking to Sysagos. You see that? He says... Uh, I urge you also, true Sysagos. Right? And so, who is the letter of the Philippians addressed to? The church. So, I, I, am, I am of the view that when he says true companion here, he's talking about the whole church. That's the true companion. That's the Sysagos. He calls the church. He calls the church my yoke fellow. He calls the church my people who share the burden with me. My people who are joined with me and share with me. That, it's, I think that's sensible and easy to understand. So what he's saying is, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind of the Lord, and I urge you also, Philippian church, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. Nothing else is known about Clement from the context we can tell that he was connected in a very significant way to the Philippian church, and Paul knew him. So this is someone else who labored in the gospel before and was part of the Philippian church and maybe is someone who is particularly suffering because of the drama between Euodia and Syntyche, which itself is an interesting point. Drama among people in a church is never, never, never isolated. Never. For every Euodia and Syntyche issue there is, there are Clements and Zizagoses as well. And it affects everyone. It's why the mind of Christ must be pursued above everything else. That's why he says to each of them, I implore you and I implore you. Because what's required is for each of us to humble ourselves. Not just so Euodia and Syntyche get their lives right but so that the Clements and all of the Zizagoses are not distracted or discouraged and not disrupted in their peace with God as well. Which I think, by the way, is why this progresses all the way through verse 6, which talks about what? Don't, work, don't be anxious for anything, but pray and be thankful. And what do you get? Peace. See, you get God's peace but what happens is that peace when there's drama and people are not humble before God and they're not seeking the Lord, they forget about the gospel, 
and everybody's peace goes away because everyone starts to get a little nervous. Everyone starts to get a little anxious. Everyone starts to get a little worried. And then church, instead of becoming a haven from the world, the opposite can occur and the world can become a haven from the church. That's why he says, I beg you, begs a little strong. I plead with you, Euodia. I plead with you, Sintichi. Get on the same page in the Lord. Oh, and I urge you, true Zizagos, true yoke fellow, true companion, Philippian church who has joined with me on everything, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and Clement also, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, the rest of my Sizagoses. Look at this, look at this, whose names are in the book of life. He reminds them what? What does book? What does your name is in the book of life imply? You're God's. You're not your own. This life is not what it's about. Quit trying to dominate each other to get everything you want in your life at any cost. Because your life is not about here and now. Your name's in the book of life, which resides in heaven. That ought to be where your heart is set. And many other things. He reminds them what. Really what he reminds them is, you're Christians. You remember when Jesus sent out the, uh, the, the disciples and he dispatched them? Listen to this story. He sent them out and he, he gave them power. Can you, imagine, can you imagine being Peter, a fisherman, and the rest of the fishermen? Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. Can you imagine being one of these guys and you're following Jesus around, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. Then one day, Jesus bestows upon you power to do the things that he did. This, listen, we know that this occurred in Acts after Jesus ascended back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. But are you aware that in his life while he was here, there was a moment, there were moments here or there for a season where it actually says Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits. And Peter and James and John and, and Matthew and all of them, even Judas Iscariot was still part of the mix at the point. I can't get my mind around that. But Jesus sent them out and they went out and they healed and they cast out demons and stuff. And he gave them all those instructions. You go into a city and, you know, you, you let your peace remain if they receive you. Go somewhere else and shake off the dust. If you don't. But they go out and they minister. And when they came back, when they came back to Jesus, what did they say? They said, Lord, even the demons obey us. Woo. How would you like that? You know what Jesus said to them? Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in that. What? I cast a demon out of somebody. What do you mean? Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice rather what? That your names are written down in heaven. So when Paul, listen, the supreme, the supreme achievement, and I use that word in quotation marks, so if you're listening to this, Pastor Lou is standing with the, um, the ubiquitous two fingers on each hand, waving them, right? The, the, the significant achievement of every Christian, which is no achievement of any of us, it's achievement of Jesus, 
is that our names are written down in heaven. There's nothing that we do that we can say, yeah! Hey, listen. Maybe Euodia and Sintichi, these are our sisters in the Lord and I don't want to be rebuked by them when I go to heaven someday. So I don't really know like, like what the issue was. But, but the Apostle Paul ends the paragraph by reminding them that their names are written down in heaven. Maybe just like Jesus told the disciples, don't get all excited about that. Be excited that your names are written down in heaven. Maybe they needed a little of that as well. Maybe, maybe part of this, Pastor Lou is, pumped, is, is, is pounding his fists together, the universal symbol of conflict, right? This is choking, this is quotation marks, and this is conflict. So maybe, maybe the reason for some of this is Euodia and Sintichi were a little satisfied, a little a little feeling good about their own ability. Not willing to accept that anybody else could measure up to them. Even willing to create disturbance and trouble in the church without conscience to make their point. I'm, I'm painting these two sisters in the worst not really. I mean, I could say a lot worse, but I'm trying to be as gentle as I can because I don't know what it's about, but I do know this. Paul has to remind them all, your names are written down in the book of life. If your names are written in someone else's book with someone else's pen by somebody else's will that you had nothing to do with it to earn it or deserve it, deserve it should you not be humble? The same mind, arriving at the same mind, does not come when they humble themselves. It comes when I do and they do at the same time. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You know what's cool? When I was Ephesians 4, 1. It should not be many pages back from wherever you are in your Bible. Every, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but every week I put a Bible verse in the inside front cover of your bulletin. Just something to think about that in one way or another goes along with what I'm trying to say today. And for whatever reason, I, uh, last week I had Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 in the bulletins and then when I was printing the bulletins for this week, I thought to myself, the same verse is perfectly applicable for this passage as well. So I didn't leave it there out of any laziness or just made a mistake, as I do sometimes when I make bulletins or typo. For whatever reason, two weeks in a row, this thought was perfectly applicable to what we're saying. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, look at this, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, which means patience, patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, you know I've gone over this with you not too long ago, endeavoring means working, endeavoring means striving, striving to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because the unity of the Spirit is something that is created 
by a sovereign God when we each get saved and we're together in the body of Christ. That unity is there. You're commanded to work to maintain it. And Euodia and Sintichi needed to work to maintain that unity because it was hurting the ministry of the church, which was to preach the gospel to every creature. Okay? Back to Philippians 4. Now, the second thing that could go, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we did... If it's funny when you if you if you look back at chapter three and verse one, it looks like the letter to the Philippians is starting to draw to a close because he says, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord." And we made much of the fact that finding your joy in God is a command. Right now, when we come to the statement of this. In chapter 4 and verse 4, why does Paul come back to something that he said already? Definitely that is true. Is it possible that Paul forgot that he wrote this just a paragraph ago? No, I don't think so. But I think the reason that this reminder needs to be put here as well as where it was is because this is one of the things that caused that drama. Whatever it is, that's sort of the modern way to say it. A more spiritual way might be dissension or, 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 you know, whatever. But the drama, church drama, church drama. What it does is it causes joy to be suppressed. And so Paul says in the wake of telling these two women to get their minds where they need to be and asking the church to help them to do that and reminding them, like Jesus did his own disciples, that their names were in the book of life. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In other words, he had already said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Talk, 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 talk. Oh, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Sintichi, be of the same mind in the Lord. Then it's like, come on, rejoice, 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 rejoice. I don't want you people constantly want, oh, did you hear what this person, did you hear, you see what that was, oh boy, this person there, no, did you hear what you, Odia, did today? You hear what Sintichi did today? And it spreads like that, James says, it's like a little spark that kindles a whole forest. So Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't let your joy be robbed by all this stuff. Humble yourselves. If Christ Jesus could for 33 years somehow be one of us. If Christ Jesus could sinlessly exist as one of us for 33 years. People say sometimes to me, "Why why did God have Jesus crucified after only 33 years of ministry and, or only three years of ministry 
Only 33 years of life. Why not stay here? Why not stay here much longer and minister? Listen, it would have been too much. It would have been, been torture for him to do so. If If Christ can humble himself like that, then we must be able to also. And if we don't, then we risk robbing brothers and sisters in our church of joy. On to verse 5. This is where I want to spend the rest of my time, which isn't very much. But there are other aspects to this Let your gentleness be known to all men. The King James renders that moderation. Maybe there's something to the fact that what was needed among... Moderation can mean a couple of things, right? Like, moderation could mean to be moderate, like sort of willing to make compromises, right? You think in the political terms of a moderate is someone who is not all the way on the left or all the way on the right. But moderation can also have the the quality of like a reconciler, almost like a mediator, a moderator, you know? And I think that's the idea here. It speaks of gentleness in, in the New King James Version. There ought to be among Christians a willingness to concede to one another. There ought, that's what gentleness is. There ought to be among, that's what moderation is. In the, the really modern versions, like, like the New Living Translation, speak of being considerate to one another. In other words, thinking of others and not just thinking of yourself. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. See, if in the church what is known is that people are constantly at each other and there's always drama going on, it's a bad testimony. What he says here is, let your gentleness what? Be known to all men. That is the state of relationship among all people of the church, the Euodias, the Sintiches, the Clements, and everybody else, ought to be one where people, even on the outside, can look and see that the people love one another and the people are gentle with one another. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. This idea of the testimony of the church, this idea of the testimony of the church is so important that as I told you, the testimony of Christians. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying that, he's saying that if Euodia and Syntyche don't 
settle whatever it is that's going on between the two of them, if they don't settle it, the reputation of the Christians is going to be harmed. Don't let it be known commonly among the world that you're people that are at each other's throats all the time. Let your gentleness be made to know, be made known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The idea of the Lord is at hand. Maybe he had in mind the coming of the Lord was near. But I think more, it's just the Lord is among you. The Lord's at hand. Jesus, John the Baptist preached in the, before Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Right? The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness... The Lord is at hand. Watch your testimony. Watch what the world thinks. We don't live as slaves to what people's opinions of us are. That's not what the idea is. But in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Another, redeeming the time means there's no time to waste. We don't have any time to waste as we walk the way that we ought to walk. And we need to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. The idea of those who are outside is the lost world around us that we are trying to reach with the gospel. To walk in wisdom towards them means the way that we live and the way that we conduct ourselves should in part be done with our ministry of reaching people in mind. That's why Euodia and Sintichi needed to settle whatever was going on. Because we care about the testimony of the church among the lost. This is really elaborated on well in, uh, you don't have to turn there, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this idea of testimony to the lost is so important that among those who are called to be overseers, bishops, elders, pastors, episkopos is the worst word that he uses, um, one of the qualifications was that the pastor needs to be someone who was of good reputation to those who are outside. In other words, listen, I don't expect the outside world to like me because as a preacher, I'm called to preach what God's word says, which sometimes involves preaching that their deeds are evil. And Jesus said, you know, the world hates me because I preach that its deeds are evil. That doesn't mean that people like me, but I should be of good reputation. That is, people can't look at me and say, drunkard, liar, violent man, you know, uh, all, you know, all these things that you can hang on someone, hypocrite, right? Because the reputation to those who are outside is important to God. First Thessalonians chapter 4, turn there. And there we'll end. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. But concerning, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. That's good. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Look, then he starts talking to them about how they ought to live that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, 
and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Why? That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So, you know, leading a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your own hands had personal benefit that you would lack nothing, right? That's God's means for you not to lack anything. But also, the testimony of the church was advanced. They didn't, Paul didn't want people to look at the Thessalonian church and see a bunch of people who walked disorderly because it reflected badly on the gospel that was preached and it reflected badly on the power of God that was at work in them. And so in all these things, walk with wisdom toward those who are without redeeming the time. Uh, walk properly towards those who are outside. Let the overseer be of one who is of good reputation to those who are outside. It all ties in with this, let your moderation or let your gentleness be made known to all men. Because the testimony of Christians is important. And that's why Euodia and Sintichi had to settle whatever it was going on. And why he said, you too, church, you help them do that. Because it's important what people think when they look at us. Look, not, it's, not, it's not look at them and see how sinlessly perfect they are. I mean, good heavens, you know that's not it, right? I mean, I mean we're saved by grace. And, and, and we want people to see the freedom and the joy that we have in God's grace. That we don't gang up on each other and beat each other up in our sins and in our faults. We want to see the grace of God at work through how we even treat each other. We want the world to see. He's not talking about looking and seeing a sinless, spotless, perfect people because only Christ is that. And as Philippians itself says, we're not going to attain anything in its fullness until we see him as he is and we become something like him. No, but he's talking about that reputation. What good is it if these people preach Christ and everything else, but then when you really get to know them, you see, they gossip about each other, they tear each other up, they undermine each other, they compete with each other, they beat each other up. What kind of testimony is that? No, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be known to all men. The easiest way, I don't know, because I'm not one who tries to destroy the work of the gospel, but if I were, I would think to myself, the easiest way to destroy the work of the gospel is to, yeah, is, is to tear Christians apart and badmouth them behind their back and let the world watch and listen. Because the world then can just sit and say, see, that's why I don't go there. Jed and Amy, come on back up here. Lead us in our last hymn. While they're coming, listen, everybody. Listen. Listen, listen. Listen. We want, above all else, for the work of the gospel to flourish. Adopt the mindset of Christ, who was humble. Adopt the mindset of Christ. You and you and you and you and me and me and me and me and you and you and you and you. Adopt that humble mindset of Christ. 
Remember that it's about the Gospel. Don't let Christians be robbed of their joy. And remember your testimony to the lost. Let's sing together and then we'll close in prayer.